I remember going to a party one night in the West Village. It was at the apartment of a friend who lived on Bleecker Street, a building with a large front stoop and tall windows. I remember climbing the stairs and thinking that I would have to be careful when I was leaving as they were quite steep and I was pretty sure I wouldn't be as clear-headed as I was going in. Fortunately, there was a sturdy iron railing on either side of the stairs, sure to come in handy later. At the top of the stairs, an outer door opened into a vestibule with the requisite metal mailboxes in the walls and on either side of me, and in front of me was another door. This one locked with a button next to it. I pressed it and, using the intercom, spoke to my host, Peter, and gained entry. Just come up one flight of stairs on the door to your immediate right, he said. Opening the door, I was in a small hallway, the inner staircase a yard or two away. I climbed the stairs and had no problem finding his apartment. The sound of a party in full swing was reverberating through the apartment walls. I happily joined the crowd and started to enjoy myself, which, let me tell you, wasn't hard at all. Being the 70s, there was no shortage of pleasures to be had. I partook of as many as I could. So fast forward a few hours, or maybe more than a few, and I had the thought that I probably should be getting home, or at least attempting to get home before dawn. I said my goodbyes and made my way to the front door, I thought. I had come in through. As I closed behind me, I was expecting to turn to my left and take the stairs down to the ground floor. Instead, in front of me was a small, dimly lit hallway. Hmm, what had I taken at the party? How much did I drink? Curious, I walked a few steps down this new apparition and saw another door at the end of it. I opened this door, and another narrow staircase was the only option. And at the bottom of that was yet another door with an exit sign above it. Exiting sounded good, so I descended the stairs. Though truth be told, I did consider turning around and trying to find my way back to the party. I opened the exit door, expecting to see another set of stairs to the street. But silly me, why should what I was expecting actually be there? Instead of a staircase, the door opened onto a sidewalk. Okay, now this was getting to be a bit much, even for my condition. I knew I'd come up a set of stairs outside, and yet here I was already on the street, a familiar one. And as I took a few steps towards the avenue, if that would still be there, I looked up and saw the street sign that confirmed for me that I was on MacDougall Street. So I go to a building on Bleecker Street and leave the same building and I'm on McDougal Street. Makes perfect sense. I knew where I was, as I was familiar with most streets in the village. It was just a question of how I got where I was. So what to do? This was way before cell phones. So I couldn't hit up Peter and ask, what the hell was going on with this building of his? Was it all some kind of joke? So I did what was left for me to do and go home. But before I did, I walked around the corner of the Bleecker Street just to be sure, and sure enough, halfway up the street was the stairs and the stoop I had climbed when I arrived. Whoa. Shaking my head, I turned to walk west, turning my back to the rising sun. And it wasn't until a couple of days later that I learned the secret of this little mystery. When I asked Peter about it, he suggested we get together for a beer, and he would explain. Well, never one to turn down a beer, I of course said yes. Where do you want to meet? After a moment, he answered, why don't we go to Chumley's? I quickly agreed, as we both knew and liked that place. So I started out for Bedford Street, not picking up on the significance of his choice of bars. I arrived first, and after entering, took a place at the small bar directly in front of the entrance door. I ordered a beer and settled in to wait for Peter. 
My eyes scanned the small bar area, taking in the black and white photos on the walls, admiring the atmosphere only available in precious places like these that have been serving New York City for decades. It was a must-see on the list of taverns and pubs, and I always took a visitor from out of town there for them to see it themselves. I'll have what he's having, I suddenly heard Peter say, and turned to see him sitting on the stool next to me. I looked at the entrance door that had remained closed since I entered and asked, where did you come from? He took a sip of his beer and said, I came in the Barrow Street door. And then I understood. I should have seen it the moment he mentioned coming to this place. He was answering my question right then and there. Chumley's, in the days of that moronic experiment called Prohibition, was a speakeasy, a bar that kept right on serving alcohol to those folks in the know. And those, like any other self-respecting business operating outside the law, it was always good to have a one way in and another way out. People would knock softly on the door and speak the necessary words to get inside. It would help a lot too if the entrance and exit were on different streets. So when the cops staged a raid on Chumley's and came in the door to 86 Bedford Street, the patrons would depart out the other door onto Barrow Street leaving behind an empty room. It was a brilliant idea, born of necessity and perfected by some pretty enterprising and imaginative characters. Sometimes the bars and all the bottles of booze themselves would disappear too, due to some interesting architectural quirks that they built into the place for just such an occasion. But the bars themselves weren't the main concern. No one was fooling anyone. The cops knew the place was serving liquor, but knowing and proving weren't the same thing. And the most important consideration for a potential patron was not getting nabbed in such a place. Thus, the two doors, two addresses, two buildings that were connected. Peter's apartment on Bleecker Street must have, at one time, been a speakeasy. And that explained my strange experience the night of the party. I just smiled and shook my head. Nice, I said. I should have known from the beginning. It was one of the things that appealed to me about the apartment. Bit of history, you know, he said. I nodded. I did know. At the height of the Prohibition, there were over 50,000 such places operating in New York City. Chumley's was a famous one that survived. A couple of others did, too. The Beatrice Inn on 12th Street and the Ear Inn on Spring. There were scores more, but they're all lost to history. Lots of them are probably just apartments now, like Pete's. Heck of a party, by the way, I said, and drained my glass. Glad you enjoyed it, he said. You did the same turned to the bartender for another round. I enjoyed my beer and the company of a good friend. I would occasionally look upon the bar and the adjoining dining room and feel thankful that somehow this place had survived up until that point. I tried to imagine some of the scenes that must have played out within these walls, and there were just too many possibilities with a history that rich. Pete interrupted my thoughts. We drink amongst ghosts, my friend, he said, raising his glass in a toast. Cheers to you, my friend, I replied, then turning to the inner room added to no one I could see, and to you all. Cheers indeed. Rob. A little postscript, unfortunately, and to the great sadness of New Yorkers everywhere, Chumley's closed for good in 2020.